0: There's been a lot written and said about the idea of quiet quitting. Let me say that again in case you haven't, didn't hear that. Quiet quitting since the pandemic. The world first heard this term actually in 2009 by the economist uh, Mark Bolger. But last year, this term went viral, an idea on TikTok and YouTube, thanks to Brian Creeley, who was a corporate recruiter and now is a coach. And the notion of quiet quitting in the workplace is the idea that there are some people who are super engaged and ready to work. And some who are like, yeah, I'm here. I love my job. It's all right. And there are others who are there in body, but not at all in spirit. They are the ones being talked about here. Those people who stay at their jobs, even though they hate it, and don't really care, or they're really fed up. Now, Gallup A Gallup poll last year says that this group make up at least 50% of the workforce in America. Employees who are not going to go above and beyond, so don't even ask. Now, while there are lots of reasons why people could feel this way, the interesting piece to me, honestly, is that they choose to stay. Now, I bring this up for a different reason, so keep going with me around the mulberry bush, if you will. In 2022, that was last year, Google data analysis revealed that Americans Americans were searching on Google for, quote, when to break up with my partner, more than had ever been seen. Sidebar, Google can't answer that question for you. Talk to a person, call your pastor. Sidebar over. Now, the trend here is that while a huge number of people are trying to figure out how to dump their significant others, many are just quiet quitting their relationships too. One article I read said people don't want to have the breakup conversation, so they're just going through the motions without any real motivation to make their relationship last. They don't want to do the big leave. So they express with their actions what they don't want to say with their words. And one therapist said there are two signs that a person is quietly quitting their relationship. One is that they've stopped advocating for their needs because they're done. Asking for something is a sign that they care. So uh, not asking means that they're getting their needs probably met elsewhere. The other sign is that their behavior is out of character in a strange way for that relationship. They stop having real conversations. They stop doing shared activities with the other person that they used to enjoy together. And this behavior is meant to dismiss the other person, probably in the hopes that the other person will dump them. I don't know. In our passage, the people are being indicted by God about basically shutting down In their relationship with Yahweh, they're going through the motions, but really they've quietly quit. They're on to other endeavors that they care more about. But the connection with God is not the same we know as a job or a romantic relationship. First of all, God knows everything, so there's no hiding or a chance that He isn't gonna notice that someone that He loves or a group of someone's are not interested in him anymore, he knows. Second, the eternal nature of what's on the line makes the idea of quiet quitting a bigger deal, which is why the words today from God are so strong and forceful. So we have begun Isaiah. We, today we are in Isaiah 1. We're going to start with verse 10 and go through verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asked this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove your evil deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. If your sins are like scarlet, will they become like snow? If they are red like crimson, will they become like wool? If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let us pray. O God, we know that when we open your word, we are on holy ground. And so we pray, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you. Oh God, you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So last week we talked about how God is putting the people of Judah on trial, basically for breach of contract, as they have not lived up to the agreement that they made with him. And we discussed how God sees them as children who are rebelling against the love that they have so freely received. Their actions have resulted in harm and desolate lives. But God has not destroyed them. And in response to their quiet quitting, their quiet quitting their relationship with the Lord, there are two main points emphasized here. Both are consistent with the truth that God wants us to hear too. But before we get there, I just want you to notice that in verse 10, God again mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. The reference to the destroyed cities may serve as a warning that Judah is going to face that same fate if they don't pay attention. But what we want to focus in on in verse 10 is the invitation to listen. God invites us to listen. In fact, this whole section is bookended in verse 10 and verse 20 with the invitation to listen to God. He wants the people to pay attention to his words and to his actions and who he is. Since they've been checked out from him, God wants us to hear what it is that he wants to say. So God first responds to the people of Judah, them quietly quitting, with an objection about the nature of their worship. In relationship language, this is basically the Lord saying how there's no meaning in their actions which is not only hurtful, but has led to a much-needed confrontation. God's objection has two parts. One is how their worship has become rote, and the other is how the worship is divorced from their everyday lives. In the first part of the objection, God is saying how tired he is of their sacrifices. While they're bringing a multitude of them, the Lord no longer wants them. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Because it's meaningless to them. The people who are bringing the sacrifices, they're meaningless, and therefore they're meaningless to God. Now let's remember that the purpose of killing animals on the altar was to atone for the sin of the people, so they would bring their offerings to the Lord, to make their lives right with God. And the point of the sacrifices then is the same as it is today, the heart of the person who comes before the Lord. Now, while this idea of going to the temple to atone for sin is not familiar with us in experience, we know communion as an embodied action that we take to worship God. The act of bringing an animal to the priest or the act of receiving communion from the sacrifice of Jesus, a remembrance of his death on the cross, is to help us realize how our sin makes death necessary. It isn't to appease an angry deity. It's to recognize the way that our lives have fallen short of God's glory and expectations. It's to acknowledge that our lives have sometimes caused harm, even if we didn't mean it. And if this step isn't taken with repentant hearts, then we continue to act in ways that dishonor the Lord and negatively hurt others. Look at what God says. He's had enough of burnt offerings There is no delight in the blood of animals. These offerings are futile. He is sick of them. Going through the motions makes God unhappy because we may as well not be there. And when people try to appear righteous for being in worship, it just adds insult to injury. We're not made to perform religious acts so that we make God happy. That may be how it is in other religions, but in Judaism and Christianity, we're meant to bring our hearts all that we are in a sincere posture before the Lord who's made us in his own image. We are to bow down to the God who has made us, whose very breath sustains our lives, who's given his own blood on the cross So to believe that all God cares about is that we show up to the right places doing the outwardly correct thing misses the heart of our relational Savior. And God won't be manipulated or deceived by the selfish actions of those who say that they love him but are just coming just for a free pass because he longs for our love and devotion and thanksgiving. He longs for us to be open to him. So the first part of God's objection is how mechanistic mechanistic Me- mechanistic mechanical, all right, let's go with that. <laughs> Thank you for the assist. The people had become in their worship. The second part of the objection begins in verse 16 where God says that they have to rid themselves of evil deeds because those evil deeds are making them unclean and their sacrifices worthless. So it isn't just that this has become a rote exercise, it's also that the very actions meant to make the people clean again are being nullified by the sin that they don't give up. So they come to worship with no intention whatsoever of God making them holy by their sacrifice. Again, humanity has a great knack for finding the loopholes in life so then we can go live the way that we want. But this makes God upset. What is happening here? How is it that we can understand it? The hands of people are full of blood, God says, because they're not exercising the kind of justice that God expects from the people who are meant to treat their neighbors as if they want to be treated with dignity and respect. The root of the Hebrew word for justice here describes a wide range of actions, both by God and by those who serve others. And this is so that justice would be preserved in society. But Isaiah here spells out how the people are not preserving God's justice. They're ignoring the oppressed. They're leaving the orphan abandoned. And they're allowing widows to struggle alone. Now in Isaiah's day, as many genera- and many generations and places, the court system was susceptible to corruption. And one thing that might be at play here is how those in authority were taking bribes or gifts to issue rulings against those who didn't have anyone to defend them, the vulnerable and the oppressed and the orphan and the widows, they all need advocates. And so God wants his people in that vacuum to stand up for those who are being treated unfairly, those who are being treated unfairly because of profit, but also those who are treated unfairly because people are too busy to care, those who are treated unfairly because there's a blind eye that is turned when evil is perpetuated. And God is saying loud and clear that those who worship him, that their lives are connected with worship, with what they do every day outside of the worship space. It's interesting how we can easily forget God's kindness given freely to us when we have that opportunity to pass the kindness on to others. And Jesus talks about that in the parable about the man who had the huge debt and he was so terrified that he was going to be thrown in jail and the person freely forgave his debt. And then that guy who got forgiven goes out and there's this other guy that owes him a small amount of money and he gets mad and beats him up and throws him in jail. And Jesus is saying, no, that isn't right. And being kind to others is more than paying it forward. It's understanding that we have received undeserved grace from God and that we are meant to go and give that grace to other people. God's rescue of the Israelites out of slavery to Egypt was a tangible act of justice. God reached out to save them because he knew and heard their cries. He knew that they were being treated harshly. Yahweh heard them and delivered them from their suffering. In the same way, Christ's death on the cross for all people expresses his great love and kindness and undeserved grace. Sin is oppressing the world. So Jesus rescued us. And then we who have been rescued have an obligation to leave our protected places and go and help alleviate the sufferings of people, not because we're the great Savior, but because we have a Savior Because we have a Savior who wants to lift up all people out of the hard places and spaces that they find themselves in. The cross proved that God's love is for all people. And God expects the people who serve him and love him to go share his concern for the poor and the defenseless. This concern has been magnified under Christ and our covenant with God demands it. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David, and it is a beautiful example of how David experiences true forgiveness and grace in his life. And that forgiveness, he says, leads him to want to go and to give that mercy to other people so that they can know that God's mercy is available for them also. God desires a broken and contrite heart from those who worship, and we want to be about that. The second way that God tries to connect with the people who have quietly quit is by offering to have an open dialogue with them. I was wondering if when, Jesus, if when God is asking for this open dialogue that the people might say, you're the one Lord who set up this sacrificial system and now you're saying you don't want it? What blood do I have on my hands? I think that my hands are clean, thank you. I have enough to do in my life, God, without worrying about those who are oppressed, whatever that means. God, it's so hard to be obedient. We're trying to hold so much together here. Could you give us a break? But God wants to talk. And depending on your translation, it might say, come, let us settle the matter. Let us reason together. Let us argue this out. Let's try and correct the situation. At this point, it's not too late. The people can still be reconciled. They can still find grace. Accepting the invitation to dialogue with God means that we listen as much as we speak. To accept the invitation means that we have real conversations where both sides are able to express their feelings of hurt and and grievances. How open with the Lord are you about the pain in your life? When you come to the Lord, are you open to hear the correction and the discipline and the ways that he wants to bring new life to you? In order to be honest with God, we have to be honest with ourselves first. At times, we can be afraid to talk to God about what we really want or what we really think or what's really happening. But this text doesn't allow us to equivocate or make excuses. It's direct, It's very easy for us to understand what God is saying. One commentary I read said how this is actually one of the most vivid descriptions of grace found in the Bible. Their sins were like scarlet. and God is offering to make their their lives clean. And the only thing they had to do was to turn their hearts fully to God in repentance and trust. Verses 19 and 20 end with an honest assessment of what will happen in the future. Those who are obedient will eat of the good of the land, and those who refuse God's offer and rebel against him will be devoured. Notice the play on words. You can listen and enjoy God's bounty, or you can refuse and be eaten up because you are refusing God's protection and care over you. To quietly quit something is to decide that we're done. God is lamenting the choices that his people were making that excluded him and cut him out of their lives. He is sorrowful for the loss that he is feeling of their presence in his life. One therapist offered that people who are quietly quitting their romances might instead choose to examine their hearts and see where they could find meaning again with this person in their lives. That is excellent counsel for us in our spiritual lives. Because if you're bored in your relationship with God, if you're just going through the motions, if what you do on Sunday has little impact on what you do the rest of the week, if you ignore how God is longing for you, longing to draw you close, I encourage you to find meaning and renewal in Christ again. Look at the kind of God we have. A God who desires honesty and connection based on great love. A God who asks that we take responsibility for our life in him. These are words for Isaiah, for the people there, and they are words for all of us. And so what will we do with them today? Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.